Hakadosh Baruch Hu, please send Mashiach now. I'd like to welcome you to Parsha and more. RPM Redemption, please Mashiach. Come on. I am Shomerman and I want to just come at you with a few insights for the Parsha this week. Um, I want to give us a general overview of everything. We're in Vayikra chapter 21. This is the 31st Parsha, if you're keeping track. So looking up some things on 31, why don't we do that real quick? Let's look up the Gematria of 31. We're also in the middle of counting the Omer, which is a really cool thing. And this Torah portion is Parsha and more, which is spelled with an Aleph, and Omer is spelled with an Ayin. Well, Ayin just so happens to be among other letters that... Uh, can interchange with the letter Aleph. Uh, also, as crazy as it is, it can interchange with the letter Chet, which is amazing to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's totally a thing. Uh, the dictionary of the Targumim gives you that information. When you go through each letter, it tells you what it can be interchanged with. So, Omer and Emor are actually related, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you could, if you can gather up together or if you can bundle up what I'm saying to make the pun complete because the omer is a dry measurement of grain that comes out to about a half gallon and when you uh bundle up your grain you're you're bundling it up like a sheaf basically so when we're counting the omer we're bundling up all of these aspects of our animal soul and we're using animal food uh, as the offering that we're daily bringing uh, at nightfall to Hashem as a wave offering. So we don't offer sacrifices at night. So that's one thing. So there's something interesting about the Omer then because you gather it up in the night but you bring it in the morning. So this is why if you forgot to count the Omer the previous night, you can also count it the following day, but you just don't say a blessing. Like you don't get to say the Baruch Atah Adonai blessing, but you can say today is da 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 of the Omer and all of that, and then go into the, the rest of the the blessings after that. So the Omer, again, is sifted through 13 different uh siftings which is all about the 13 principles of interpreting the torah which can be found in the art scroll sidur in the shakarit section uh after you say the morning prayer service so anyway just want to point out that the way the the word for say and the word for omer are actually the same thing and parsha and more usually occurs during the time we're counting the omer and if you look at the Parsha and more and look at what we do with the Omer, it's a gathering of things, which we'll talk about here in the layout. 
So we're like, we're bundling things up into a sheaf. And one of the definitions I came across is I was just trying to look for the actual unit of measurement uh, in our exile terms, because again, every measurement that we read about in the Torah, it's all in the, the terms of how Hashem gave it to us in the Torah. So there's ephahs and there's heens and parsings and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, what does that translate to as miles and uh, gallons and liters and all that kind of stuff? And the only reason we need to know that is because we're in exile and we weren't around during the temple. So we don't get that. So now we got to work on getting that. Because one day the temple will be back and we won't be like, well, could you bring in your half gallon of Omer? It's like, no, could you bring in your Omer? And when you're told that, you know exactly what that means. So we got to work on that right now. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so we're bundling up some things. And the definition of Omer is said to master and to make as a servant. And I'm like, what? Listen, let me go back to that definition. Of course, I, I navigated away from the page, but I'm going to go back to it and then I'm going to go to 31 and then I'm going to go into our overview. So in the meantime, I want to encourage everyone that I'm doing this and more uh, RPM intro. And I usually like to break out the podcast into like different uh, segments of their own. So that way people don't have to feel like they need to listen to like eight hours worth of stuff all at once. And I want to try to break them down into smaller chunks and make them easier to navigate and access. So with that being said, I want to encourage everyone with this podcast uh, to uh, check your notifications and also to make sure you've signed up and subscribed uh, so that you can get the latest not- notifications. Or if if not any of those things, if you don't want to share with anybody, that's totally fine. Uh, I'll be I'll be hurt a little bit. Anyway, no, I won't. Anyway, I just want to point out that uh, if you come back in a couple of days or by Shabbat, um, there will be plenty more information, Bezrat Hashem, for you to listen to. Because, again, I, I can just try. I'm trying to do as much as I can to just get the information out there uh, because insights are great. But critical thinking is another thing. And also just connecting the dots on everything, because I got into talking about the festivals or the Moedim better called because that's how Hashem introduces them. These are the appointed times. And and the other system of belief that exists that talks about uh, the way that the Bible should be uh, observed or practiced, if you will, says that, you know, when it really comes to these holidays you see in the Bible, you know, that that's old and the Messiah's fulfilled half of them and we're waiting on him to fulfill some. And it's like this thing where the festivals aren't known and they also aren't observed, much less even the Shabbat, which is the beginning of the festivals. And it's just kind of like, why, if you love Hashem and you want to be obedient and do what he tells you, why do you make it out to be that, well, we don't have to worry about the festivals, but we need to focus on what the Messiah has or hasn't fulfilled? As if that puts a bearing on observing these appointed times that Hashem said are going to be forever. So just things like that just kind of 
saying, hey, w- what's the point? You know, are you just doing the squirrel technique? Because Hashem totally said, do this forever. And it's like, well, that's a part of the Old Testament. And it's like, well, why do you call it the Old Testament? It's like, oh, well, that was before the Messiah. So we do this thing after the Messiah. Well, didn't we know that Hashem gave us his word, even knowing that there was going to be a time that the Messiah was going to be crucified, buried, and resurrected? And even the Messiah himself, while he was resurrected, said, hey, go and make disciples of the nations. What does that mean? Go teach the nations Torah. Go make converts. It's like, okay. So why is there a system of belief out there that if you follow this Messiah who told us to do these things, well, if we're supposed to go tell the nations about the Torah, but not do the Torah and not even know about the Torah, then how can we uphold that word? And yes, I'm talking about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's just three verses, 18, 19, 20. I mean, and it's kind of re-emphasized in the first chapter of Acts. So there's that. And then don't forget about Kepha's Drosh in Acts chapter 2. So, I mean, all these different things, you know. And so, anyway, I like to talk about stuff like that. And when uh, the passages from the letters and the passages from the Gospels come up, you know, I always want to try to point those out. So anyway, just a treasure trove, hopefully, of information that I want to know. I want you to know that it's available. So go back in the podcast history. I'm trying to title everything so that that way you can hopefully easier find subjects. I've been doing things by Parsha. And again, you get into so many different things, like even just talking about the intro. I'm just trying to talk about the word and more and Omer and the number 31, and here I am talking about other stuff. So I always kind of swerve off into things because that's just what I do. Anyway, here's that definition. It says to make one's self the master of. To make use of a person as a servant. To bind and pile sheaves to harvest to be thick tufty to heap up and to pile that literally is the definition of omer so i just loved seeing that in the uh, dictionary to target mean because we're getting our animal soul in check our inner man the the kokma bina da'at of us our intellect Okay, yeah, we really want to serve Hashem. We're like, Hashem, you redeemed us. We set free from Egypt. Boy, we out here on the wilderness. We headed to the mountain. We ready. But guess what? Our emotions, our body, our body of death, as it is known as, and we'll talk about that a little bit more with the help of Hashem. Beautiful drop from uh, Corinthians that we're going to get into. But when you look at all that, the Omer is helping you master your emotions and also helping you master yourself so that you can make yourself a servant of Hashem. You may have heard of this one verse called Buffet Your Body. I buffet my body. I beat it into submission, you know, and that's from uh, Shaul writing to the congregation in Corinth, which we learn is a lapide, for lack of a better term, congregation of the first century. Because they were people of Torah and they believed in Yeshua. And that's what Lapid does. We are people of Torah who believe in Yeshua. But anyway, um, just a whole drop there that we're 
binding ourselves up in service to Hashem. We're saying we will serve Hashem. We will choose life. We will take off the old and we will put on the new. We are no longer the person we were yesterday. We're no longer going to be the person that we were last year. Like all that stuff. Which means we have to be making teshuva as we're counting the omer. That's exactly what that means. Because you can't say you're growing and changing if you're not repenting. Because that, that'd be weird. It's like, did you repent for that? Nah, but I'm good. I grew. It's like, uh, not really. Because you're leaving the door open for Hasatan to pull you back there because you never took care of that. So close all doors, take out all footholds, and move towards the shim. We're, we're, when we're wrong in certain areas, let's just confess it, deal with it, and pull up. Let's go. All right, so Gematria 31, Baruch Hashem. What do we got here? Gematria 31, we got El, which is the name of God. We got... I believe that is the word Hakavod, which if that is, that's that's amazing. Because uh, we just got through talking about holiness and Hashem being Kadosh. Now it's like, well, let's talk about his glory. So throw this into the dictionary here. And yes, it is Hakavod. How about that? The 31st parsha speaks of the glory of Hashem. Get you some. So, jumping over here to G Shekel Shlita. This is Gadai of Bet Yisrael. And he has a beautiful uh, commentary. He gives an overview on the parsha. So, I just want to land back off of what he wrote here. And um, we'll jump over to Rabbi GQ and we'll conclude this this podcast okay so he says the 31st reading from the torah is called emor the first verse of the reading says then hashem spoke to moshe speak to the priests the kohanim the sons of aharon vayikra 21 1 emor begins with special laws of sanctity and purity for the priesthood now, if you've listened to Captain Israel Shlita, uh, the Aliyah Day, the first reading for Parsha Amor for this year, 5780, then you heard, hopefully, at the end of that, that first reading that, you know, there's nothing new in the New Testament. And remember, we're called a kingdom of priests. First Peter 2, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, insights. Well, guess what? That is Exodus chapter 19. And a practical application of that is found in this week's Torah portion because commentaries teach us that as we learn about the the Kohanim and their obligations, their duties, and everything that goes along with that, that we're to see how it applies to us. Like one of the reasons we wear head coverings is because Hashem commanded the Kohanim to wear head coverings. And remember that Israel, the whole nation, is considered to be Kohanim for the world. So what the Kohanim are to the Israelites is what Israel is to the world. 
So just kind of looking at some of that hierarchy there. So if we can't understand what our role is as a Cohen, then, you know, it's kind of hard for us to really go and, and make Talmudim of the nations like we're supposed to. So anyway, so that all stems from here. So really, if you take, if you think about Matthew 28, Mashiach is like, go study the Torah portions and go share the Torah portions with the nations. Literally, Aliyah Day coming. I mean, come on, man. Like, seriously. Anyway, so pointing that out, it says a more begins with special laws, sanctity and purity. And it says Vayikra 23 provides an overview of the biblical calendar. How about that? First month, third month, the seventh month, you know, all these different things that we're supposed to do on the appointed times, the holidays, if you will, the Yom Tov's or the Shabbaton. That's all in this week's Torah portion. Now, they're in other places, too. And uh, I actually took the liberty of codifying all those places or all those places in the Torah where the uh, Moedim are mentioned, the appointed times, and I put them all together in a note. And I will like to go ahead and just read through that and just have that posted as a podcast. So that way, it's just like, hey, when is so-and-so, so-and-so? It's like, here, let's talk about it. Anyway, so we'll do that. Um, with the help of Hashem. Goes on to say, Hashem said to Moshe, speak. God speaks about how the Kohanim should act and perform their duties in the tabernacle. He speaks about how the Israelites should not oppress one another. And he speaks of the seventh year, the sabbatical year and the 50th year, the Jubilee. So that's kind of a, a heads up on our parasha here. And then I want to go down to Rabbi GQ Shlita, who is Rabbi Greenbaum. And he brings down this beautiful drop. I want to say two things from him and then we'll close our time. Starts off by saying, as discussed in Universal Torah, Tadzave, which remember that parasha back from uh, Shemot Exodus says the Torah portion or the Torah conception of the priests and their relationship with the people is radically different from the conception of the priesthood and other traditions. The Kohen of the Torah does not absolve the Israelite of his obligation to forge his own personal relationship with Hashem. The Kohen is not an intermediary who performs mysterious rituals that magically guarantee that all will be well for the ignorant worshiper who stands by watching man he dropped that and i was like what is wrong with you dude that's how you start your commentary so in like i just said before we're kingdom of priests right malkut koinim we're literally kings and priests that just because where ourselves aren't Kohenim doesn't mean we need to be ignorant of their duties. Because again, principles apply to us. Okay? Setting ourselves apart, uh, being holy, and making each other beloved to one another. Because remember the first Kohen is Aaron, right? Well, obviously Melchizedek is the first Kohen. And really Hashem is the first Kohen because Hashem is a Kohen. But for the sake of the example, 
Aharon is known as a person who made the children of Israel beloved to one another. He was literally considered to be God's son because remember, those who are peacemakers, those have the the privilege of being called sons of God. So Aaron was totally that. He would see two Israelites that were at odds with each other. He'd meet with each other one by one, and he would cause them to desire re uh, reconciliation with one another. So you know, if person A is upset with person B, you know, and person B is like, "What did I do? I'm sorry." And person A is like, "I don't want to hear it." Well, Aaron would know about that, and then he'd go to person A and say, "You know." Hey, did you know person B, da-da-da-da-da, you know, really making person B, like, beloved in the eyes of person A. Then we'd also go to person B and be like, hey, did you know person A, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and then person B's like, oh, my gosh, wow, I I really want to go talk to this guy. And so by the time person A and B meet up with each other, after they have met with Aharon individually, they'd be like, Best friends, because they're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't know I offended you. I'm sorry offending you. You know, it's like this beautiful thing where you're getting down to the crux of the matter. But anyway, we're all supposed to be like that, which is why Yeshua said, they will know you are my Talmudim by your love. Because, I mean, we, we just learned about loving your neighbors. You love yourself. So, you know, why are we mad at each other for anyway? I mean, when you really get down to thinking about it, I mean, come on, it's about to get super real right now. When was the last time you messed up? Like you accidentally did something that ticked somebody off or frustrated somebody or depressed somebody or Chasve Shalom depressed somebody. Well, Chasve Shalom, all of them. But I mean, come on. Whether you knew about it or you didn't. Because here's the other thing. You may or may not know you did that to somebody. And that is a thing. So, I mean, think about that for a second. Wouldn't you like a second chance? And to know that we just talked about Omer, which means to master yourself. Well, somebody upset you or frustrated you or depressed you you have the power to give somebody else a second chance so now if both offended parties realize that they have the power to give somebody a second chance and now the two parties can come back together and reconcile like wouldn't that be awesome wouldn't it be so awesome if you accidentally upset somebody or whatever you offended somebody basically you sinned against them in their own eyes and they're like i can't believe this person did that i thought we were cool but i guess we're not i'm gonna take them out next time i say well i can't take them out because the shem said don't do that vengeance is mine says the lord okay what else can i do you know what i just won't talk to him i just won't i just won't even look at him i just i just can't i can't i won't deal with it you know like right so like but that's not what we're called to do and again, Aharon was like super amazing at that. So if we really take Parsha and more to heart, we would literally look at the Cohen and be like, listen, we need to, we need to fix this. But anyway, so we, we upset somebody and it's just like, it's so bad. And we're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I did that. And the person's like, you know what? You didn't even know. 
and I was going through some stuff and, you know, and when you came at me, you came at me sideways, I didn't really appreciate it, but you know, I couldn't really deal with it at the moment, you know, but I can deal with it now. I had some time to cool off. Okay. And you know, you really work through some things like, oh man, that's like redemption right there. Like that should make you just so like, wow, you know, and again, to think you did something and you didn't even know you did it, but yet the other person was able to really just overcome that hurdle and that obstacle. I mean, that's why I'm talking about this. I mean, it just feels just like so amazing. I, I can just, I can already just visualize it. I can like put myself in the shoes of someone who just did that and just got forgiven, you know, and to know that every night when we do the bedtime Shema, cause that's a thing that, uh, we're supposed to forgive those who offended us. Wow. Like you don't even go to sleep without forgiving people. And if we have a hard time forgiving people, why are we asking Hashem to forgive us? If we can't forgive other people, why should Hashem forgive us? Because remember everything we talked about in Parsha Kedoshim, how it matches the Ten Commandments, Hashem is your neighbor, all that kind of stuff. So if you're not forgiving your neighbor, you're not forgiving Hashem, which means when you're asking Hashem to forgive you, he's like, well, yeah, he forgave me. Why should I forgive you? You know, if you really complete the circuit of all this, and then on the other hand, whether or not the person knew they hurt you. And it's just like, how do you approach that? You know, it, it, you got to make this person a person is personal, you know, and, and being a, a person who is just like, I don't know why they did that to me. Hashem, you know, ask Hashem to give you insight. You who knows secret thoughts. Do we not say that about Hashem? Hashem knows exactly why that person offended you. So why don't we ask him to give us some insight and ask him to help us to bridge that gap? Because I'll tell you on my personal end that if I offend somebody and I don't know, first of all, it's really hard for me to like, realize that I've done that and it's just like so embarrassing but if somebody's hurt me it's gonna be hard to really go back to that person and approach them and be like hey you hurt me I don't appreciate that bam and knock them out no that's not how you handle things but you know you might feel like you want to do that but anyway uh so yeah so you get you gotta like you bind it up count that omer just mm, sephirata omer baruch shemo you know and whether you're the offender or the offendee, you know, Parsha Moore right here is letting us know some some practical things that we do just to uh, to foster and build that up, and that we're not to be bystanders as we uh, watch our leadership, you know, do what they're supposed to do and teach us the word of God. We need to know the word of God, so. Just understanding the Kohen has these things that are laid out here in Parsha and more. And it's like, well, yeah, the Kohen needs to know that. And it's like, but you need to know that because you're somebody else's Kohen. Think about that for a second. There are people who are outside the Torah right now. And Hashem has put you in that person's life. And what you're supposed to be is the kingdom of Hashem to that person. However that looks, and if you 
plumb the depths of the Torah on a daily basis, you know, whatever you're able to learn that day, applying that to your life, you re, you're ministering to that person because that person is not really so concerned about what you're saying as opposed to what you're doing and how you're existing. Because the fact that you exist within that person's sphere of influence, like you're influencing them, you're speaking to them. People see, are you a person who shows up to work late? Do you show up to work on time? Do you show up to work early? Do you work hard? Do you barely get by or do you slack off? Do you respect your other employees? Do you go around preaching hell and damnation to people? Or do you go around making shalom with everybody? Or, you know, like there, I mean, the gamut just continues. It's, it's endless. Like there is so much stuff. So anyway, you're a Cohen to somebody. So remember that. So now, with that being the intro, he brings down the blasphemer that's at the end here, uh, who is this, the uh, the son of a woman called Shlomit Bat Divri, which is my Shalom, daughter of my word. She goes all the way back to Egypt because she is the wife of an Israelite man whom Moshe saw being beaten up by an Egyptian the first time he went out to visit his brothers. Remember when Moshe slayed an Egyptian man and hit him in the sand? Yeah, well, Moshe slayed that guy by pronouncing the divine name. So the son of that Egyptian ended up being Shlomo Bat Divri's son as well. So what does that mean? That Egyptian was with this Shlomit lady and they had an illicit relationship. That's right. So there's a whole Midrash Rashi brings down uh, Shemot and uh, it literally says, see Rashi on Shemot 2.11. And also Rashi on Shemot 24.10. I will warn you, it's a very disturbing Midrash. But just know, Shlomo and uh, Shlomit and uh, this Egyptian guy, they had an illicit relationship. And again, we learned about that illicit relationship stuff in Akare Mot and in Kedoshim. We learned about don't do it, and we learned about the the consequences for doing it. And now we see what happens to the offspring of the illicit relationship. And this guy pronounced the divine name, but it's not so much that he pronounced it, it's what he did with it. That made him to be a blasphemer because it says he pierced the name of Hashem. Literally uses the word for pierced in the Hebrew. So if you think about the name of Hashem being pierced, yes, we're talking Mashiach. And did not people blaspheme Mashiach all day? Think about it. Mashiach is the Torah made flesh. And we know that the Torah is the son of God. I mean, Proverbs chapter 8, all day, right? I was daily in his sight as a nursling. You know, I was his master craftsman's tool to bring about the creation of the universe. So we learned about how beloved the Torah is to Hashem, like a like a firstborn son, all that. So now that's made flesh, and people are like, you're not the son of God. 
You're making yourself out to be Hashem. What's wrong with you? You're leading an insurrection and a rebellion against Rome. That's not right. And, you know, you're doing all this stuff. Get him out of here. Crucify him. Now, how many of us will, will go up to a Torah scroll, tear a Torah scroll up, throw it down on the ground, say, you're not the word of God. You don't, you don't run my life. Okay, so that would be that would be like blasphemy and just really disturbing at the greatest. But yet the body of Mashiach was done that way, and it's just kind of like, okay. So anyway, that's piercing the name of Hashem, desecrating it, okay, abusing it, maligning it, all that kind of stuff. So this this is what happened with the blasphemer. He's the, the child of an illicit relationship. Here's the crazy thing, though. It says... There is a deep counterpoint in the positioning of this episode in Parshat Moore, which centers on the special purity demanded of the Kohanim. Shlomit Bat Divri is the exemplar of the opposite. So you have the purity and then you have the immor immorality. So now... Shlomit but Divri is like, let's let me show you the immorality of the thing. And Shlomit but Divri's son was like, I see your immorality, Ema, and I raise it to the nth degree. So check it out. While the holiness of the Kohanim requires separation and making distinctions between pure and impure, fine and blemished, she sought to erase the distinctions. She greeted everyone with a naive Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem. First of all, you're not supposed to say Shalom, Shalom to people who are anti-covenant. First of all, if they're, if they hate Torah, they hate Jews, which is what the Egyptians did. They, they literally killed Jewish babies and ground them up and made bricks out of them. Like that's how you don't say Shalom, Shalom to people like that. Anyway, so she did. She thought it was totally fine. And as if to say, here's the next commentary. It says, as if to say friendly chatter is enough to turn evil into good. It was Shlomit Bat Divri's endeavor to erase distinctions that laid her open to immoral relationship, which led to the birth of the blasphemer. Let me just point out that there's a whole religion that's built off of erasing distinctions and what are they giving birth to blasphemy so says here's here's kind of where it goes a little deeper it says that rashi brings a midrash that the blasphemer went out from vayikra 2410 in the sense that he departed from the torah number one Again, we just talked about the illicit relationship, erasing the distinctions and all that. Well, what happens with that? You give birth to someone who departs from Torah. Hmm. Wow. Departing from Torah. Where do we see that? Goes on to say, he mocked the idea that the sanctuary showbread, which was eaten by the Kohanim when it was nine days old, was a fitting institution in the sanctuary of the king, the blasphemer, could not accept this. So he said, 
No, we can't have that be the king's bread or the king's table. Want to throw out there, too, the whole nine days drop? That was like a speed bump. You realize that when the Kohanim actually ate this bread from the showbread table, King David, by the way, later he would eat this bread, manifesting out this literally is the king's bread. So anyway, the the let's talk about the table for a second. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to Parshat Teruma for this. Now, the showbread table is in the holy place, right? There's the showbread, there's the menorah, and there's the golden altar. Okay, that's your holy place. Now, the showbread table has two columns of six loaves of bread apiece, okay, just suspended in the air. So you got bread that's suspended, for lack of a better term, on a pole. Looking at the the showbread table, you have these movable holders that are inserted into these little slots where the bread goes. Okay. And there's like one, one depiction has it like these fine little wire things that the little, the loaves hang on. So it looks like bread is just suspended in the air on the showbread table. And remember it's two columns, right? Six breads a piece. Six is Vav. Remember Mashiach is Vav. The way you spell Vav is Vav Vav. Okay. Or Vav Aleph Vav. So Aleph is the inclusion letter. It means to bind things together. Uh, unity, right? So the two columns are br brought together through the table that they sit on. So literally you're looking at the two Mashiachs, looking at two Vavs, which have the, the pieces of bread in it. Remember Mashiach Yeshua is called the showbread. He says on the bread from heaven, okay, which the showbread is called Lechem Panim, literally meaning bread of the face. So Hashem, or Slika, Mashiach is called the Prince of the Face, Sar Hapanim, and the Sar Hapanim is also Lechem. So the Sar is the minister of the inner interior, okay, like the Holy of Holies of Hashem. So now you got the, the showbread who is the interior of Hashem, like the face of Hashem. Okay, that is suspended, okay, in the air on top of a table. Mashiach's body was suspended on a pole, okay, and he, he was offered up for us. So the two Mashiachs, the two Vavs, were suspended on a pole, and the bread hangs in the air. Okay, so that's one thing I wanted to point out, that, you know, just looking at the showbread table, you see a picture of Mashiach crucified. So that's, that's one thing. Second of all, it says that this bread is nine days old when it's partaken of. So every Arab Shabbat, okay, so like Friday before sundown, you put bread in there. It's fresh out the oven, and then you go a whole week, and you that bread that you put in that previous Friday, now you're going to take it back out. And now as the sun sets on Friday night, you're going into Shabbat, basically Arab Shabbat. You've now reached the ninth day. So by the time you say Hamoti Lekamin Haaretz, which is who brings forth bread from the earth, and you partake of this bread, it would be nine-day-old bread. Well, guess what? It tasted exactly like it came out the oven. So imagine this. Whenever you make challah, the, the smell that your house has, and then whenever you eat that challah, when it's fresh and all of that, how that tastes. Imagine that being a whole nine-day thing. And on the ninth day, you get to finally eat it, and it still tastes just like you cooked it 
you know, fresh out the oven, just like you baked it fresh out the oven. Okay, so that's that's a little piece, pun intended, of the temple and the tabernacle. But anyway, so the blasphemer mocked this. He departed from Torah. He could not accept God's Torah the way it was. And it goes on to say he wanted to adapt the Torah to fit his own personal views. Okay, so obviously we've seen that. So the point being erasing distinctions, departing from Torah, uh, mocking the Torah, not accepting the Torah the way it is, you know, which includes the oral Torah, by the way. The sages don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to follow them and I'm going to make up my own thing and I'm going to go with what Rambam says as opposed to what the sages say and all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I said it. And then um, is fit, fitting your own personal views. So, like, when these things occur, you're aligning yourself with Shlomit Bat Divri and her son, known as the Blasphemer. So, we really got to take into account what is actually going on. So yeah, so that's welcome to the Torah portion. It's amore to uh, sing like Frank Sinatra. When the Torah hits your eye like a big piece of mitzvah, it's amore. Anyway, just had to. I had to get that out, y'all. It's been it's been just boiling up in me this whole time. So just, I love. First of all, I love the amore song by Frank Sinatra. That's amore. And when I see Parshat Amor, it just makes me think about that. And also, Mi Amor, because I love it. Okay, but anyway. So, there's our introduction for Parshat Amor. Hopefully, uh, this was a blessing to you. And again, uh, with the help of Hashem, I will be doing a lot more episodes on this Parshat. Going to try to break everything out and keep it all separate up. So, I can go one subject at a time without getting too crazy. Well, it's too late for that. But, uh, yeah, so if you could please share the podcast, inform other people about it, and uh, that way if you need any kind of extra insights throughout the week, if you want to see some connections to the letters and things like that, um, you know, I'll be doing that. So, again, this is Parshat Moore and Shummer Man signing out. May you have a Shavua Tov. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye olam natabetokhenu Baruch atah Adonai Noten ha Torah